This is episode nine of Eating Cake, and you are listening to us through the technological wizardry of Anchor and Skype. And I am here with Ruth, who this time has a very <laughs> mushroom-filled Alice in Wonderland background that looks awesome, and I want I want to live there. So, how are you doing, Ruth? I'm well. I'm just having fun with the background thing here on Skype. So, <laughs> yeah. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I am. I've been taking it easy this week. Of course, like I said, I've been doing some kind of like mental mental hygiene around politics because it's a cesspool and what that's not news. But I, you know, it was something happened this week that I think was really interesting. It was. We've been talking so much about the election for so long, and then actually it's less than two weeks away now. So that was that was an interesting realization. Although I real I you know I intellectually talked about it, and we talk about it abstractly, but really it's right around the corner now. So how are you feeling about that? Well. It's interesting because I have not become so emotionally invested because I'm voting green. So um, I, I view both Biden and Trump as people I just couldn't vote for because, I mean, the Democrats clearly have much better optics. They've worked very hard on getting people to think very highly of them and respect them. Um, but they will do the elite's bidding and they will bomb the rest of the world into getting our oil or minerals or whatever we need. So I kind of feel like, um, you know, I've taken a step back and and I see the hysteria that's being whipped up in the media. And it just seems like people aren't voting based on, you know, uh, rational things. They're voting on this sort of like, feelings they have that are really whipped up by media I think I mean that's just my opinion but <laughs> yeah well I mean of course and I, I'm gonna get to the media piece in a minute Ruth can I just ask you to just pull your mic away just a tiny bit there we go how's this oh yeah much better okay much great. better okay so let's go back to the media the media piece well as you probably already know I pretty much <laughs> <laughs> you're so Ruth is laughing because I'm just you know I hate to be I don't mean to be so cynical but I'm very analytical and I've been paying a lot of attention for a really long time because of because I because I am an anthropologist and I teach anthropology about consciousness and and how that relates to the media and advertising and back many, many, I don't even remember how long ago, maybe this came out in the 90s, but it was um, uh, a documentary by the, by the, by a guy named Adam Curtis, which, who talked about the century of the self, and he talked about how um, the, what we used to call, I guess, like a Department of Propaganda in the United States, was, the name of it was changed to public relations, and public relations is related to advertising. They're all connected, and this the renaming of the Department of Propaganda was suggested 
I believe it was by Edward Bernays, who was Freud's nephew. So we are being, you know, it's not surprising to me um, to hear about how you, your your take on the media because we psychologically manipulated by these by images, by what is being said, by how things are framed, and they this kind of discourse and the conversation around it and the images, it just narrows our options more and more. So I think the more that we can kind of un, un, untether ourselves from these things, the better for us. I agree. And, and the question is about uh, untethering. And I think the first element is that people don't think highly of their own self. They don't think highly of their own ability to, to see things, to make judgments. Um, so that when CNN comes on and they tell them stuff, they just don't even think about their own perspective on what they heard in the original source material. For instance, um, when Trump made some offhand comment about the election and not accepting it, I just think he was being stupid and I just I don't think he has some great plan to steal the election. I think he was just being the typical moron, stupid, bullying, like mafioso type that he is and um, just made some weird comment like because that's his nature. He's a bully, but I don't think he actually really intends to uh demolish the constitution and but immediately all of the news agencies cnn and everything whipped everyone into this like massive frenzy and fear that there were going to be like people shooting people in the streets and stuff and you know there have been clashes at blm protests but i actually don't think that it seems reasonable to me to uh, take his comment and then out of his comments just make this like huge fear factor in America and so that's what I mean by um, trusting your own judgment and so people basically are either right-leaning and they are whipped into a frenzy by like Fox News or they're left-leaning and they're whipped into a frenzy by CNN it just seems crazy to me Right, and I—I I mean, this is what go. This is connected to the whole bread and circuses. I mean, these are <laughs> right. the, the the news is about the bread and circuses, and it's just the politics of distracting us mm-hmm. from the real things that are going down. I mean, I you know I don't put it past Trump to 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 create some kind of doubt in people's mind, which is exactly what he's doing, that 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 the whole, that the election will be, you know, full of, filled with broader suppression, hoaxes, whatever it is. I mean, it's just more of the, you know, the politics of distracting us from really, from actually, one, if you want to vote, vote, and vote for the candidate that you feel is best, and two, from actually participating in 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 the election, that's I feel like a large part of it is really just about seeding doubt, creating division, 
doubting if this will work. Yeah. And actually, this has been going on I, prior to Trump. This is not new. I mean, the... I think I've talked about caucusing before, caucusing for Bernie and how the DNC basically suppressed the votes, you know, the the wishes of the people, especially those of us who I witnessed, you know, in my district, how ev- pretty much everyone in in my district went for Bernie and how the the candidate that was selected was Hillary because whatever it was, I don't remember what was said, maybe it was the it's her turn piece, which is obnoxious, or which or this she was the more electable candidate, but fundamentally, it's all a sham. So I mean, I just feel like I and that might some people might find this irresponsible for me to say, but to me, it's a sham. Because like I said, for I've seen Democrats run cities and they don't do anything meaningful for people of color, for, you know, they just play on those identity politics in ways that actually depoliticize people and prevent them from actually getting their basic needs met simply through all of this kind of identity politics performative politics where you can genuflect and bend the knee, you know, as the Speaker of the House, but really you can't get people the stimulus package. I mean, really? Like, this is so ridiculous. I'm so over it. I know. I totally agree that that is the height of ridiculousness that I was reading the list on some meme, and I don't know how true it is, but like all these other developed countries are giving their people monthly payments. Um, Canada, 1400 a month, and they're the lowest. And it just is so ridiculous. They can't pass another $1,200 payment to us. Yeah, people mean, are like out of work and losing their homes, and they can't pass that. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I, we're not even talking losing homes you know, losing lives, their health is just being eroded. And this is kind of like why last week I felt like we had to rant a little bit because I, working in community mental health, I've witnessed so much garbage. I was not kidding about like people not having bathrooms to use, sleeping on the street and not, and not really I mean, not living, you know, even if you don't have money, like everyone deserves to live in dignity, you know, like that's just like all just this undignified life and people just are, are our political parties just don't care about the humanity of other people. They care about these abstractions Mm -hmm. and, you know, just garnering power for the sake of what? garnering more power until you die I just it's just I'm I'm over it (laughs) I know and it's like what does it take to disengage yourself to stand back just a little bit to be able to see what's real news and what's not I mean I deal with this on a daily basis when I'm trying to approve um post for leftisms a, a group I manage on Facebook and like half of it is this like hysterical ranting that doesn't have any meaning and the real news is 
like in England, there's a group trying to save a small wood, you know, and they're about to tear it down. And that's that's real news. The real news is our 800 military bases all over the world. And we don't have any other bases here of other countries. We're basically, you know, an empire like the Roman Empire. And we've just evolved. And that's like real news. And real news is these stories of individuals, not like this massive hysteria (laughs) yeah it really yeah it's it's a but how do you it's a shit show yeah yeah like how do you disengage (laughs) I mean like that's that's part of the issue and I feel like um part of the part of part of the the power of disengaging is that you the best thing to do is kind of drain drain the this entity or this whatever godforsaken thing it is drain it of its narrative its power yes. the power it has over it has over us in the sense of we don't need to be locked into just hearing the same story over and over and allowing our consciousness to be dominated by those things we really need to be thinking about other ways to to live in the world, to use our creative resources, to be in the world. And this is kind of also like why I'm really interested in, again, like I was talking about so, so in terms of some social justice promote, proponents might critique what I'm saying, but I really do believe that we need to, one, absolutely think about how all of our identities are really important to kind of inform our lives and so forth. But I feel like all at the same time, we need to identify, I recognize that the way um, politicians use identities, like, you know, my, my identity as, you know, a Puerto Rican, my identity as a woman, like all the racial gender, um, and able it, you know, all of the, you know, all of the different identities we have to divide us in ways that distract us from understanding that all we're asking for, I feel like, in all of these um, connect to getting our basic needs met, which is fundamentally a class issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the things that we're asking for in terms of not just recognition, but having basic needs, having a a reasonable place to live in without being like persecuted for not having money, having like, um, you know, not suffering workplace discrimination, which literally like I have seen racial discrimination literally at every job I have witnessed and I've, I've actually been at in my adult life. Like these are ways in which the politics of identity, like identities, if you, they, how they actually connect to class relations. So for example, if you're being, if you're being discriminated against at your workplace because you're a racial minority or a sexual minority or been minoritized in some sense, then your basic needs are not being met. You like there that is a way to prevent you from getting your basic needs met, be it be food, housing, healthcare, because our jobs are connected to healthcare too. 
So some people would say, and I'm just saying some, I know it's a vague, uh, but some people would say that like I'm a class reductionist, but at the same time, we really need to think about how all of these things, all these ways that people are persecuted in their everyday life are connected to not getting our most basic needs met, which is which is a crime. You know, it's a crime perpetrated by the state. Um, but you can't hold the, the state doesn't want to be held accountable for anything that it really does. So, yeah, that's you are right on. And um, having traveled in some Marxist circles, in some intellectual discussions regarding this and the quote unquote class reductionist uh, question, I think that a lot of the earlier failure of Marxism was the failure to look at identities as a legitimate thing to look at and a legitimate reason people are being oppressed. For instance, um, the identity of being a black young man means that you are liable to go out on the street and have a cop shoot you and kill you and murder you in cold blood. I mean, there's no getting around that. However, um, the rich the rich black man is in a little better position, possibly, I don't know, but it, it is a discussion to, to bring together the whole idea of class consciousness and incorporate the idea of identities. And people are working on it. I know a lot of groups are working on this, and it's a difficult issue, really hard to quantify things, but I think most people now who are socialists understand that they are both important. And then the other thing that I want to say just on a personal history type thing is I realized what it was all about in America even before I became involved in politics. Um, I used to, like 20, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, I worked at a bank, a really fancy downtown bank, and I hit on something finally after listening to everyone talk all the time that that the true religion of America was shopping mm -hmm. and that all I had to do if I really wanted to make people like feel good about me was to talk about shopping and talk about how I was going to go shopping and talked about how I was going to buy stuff. And it was, and it worked. And it's like, you did that. I did that. And immediately everything changed and I became part of the group. And that's kind of, I did that and practiced that for a long time because I understood that that's what people care about. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we give so much of our life energy over to shopping. It's not, it's not even funny. And, um, but I really, I appreciate what you're saying about like um, the socialist circles, you know, really under trying to understand class race as an analytic Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I sometimes, you know, I feel like, and this is where I feel like people start talking about racialized capitalism and, you know, various forms of intersectional theory. But fundamentally, for me, I, you know, I, I land on the side of, you know, we do need to think about class a little bit more, just simply because, it really is about basic needs. I mean, the Demo for me, the Democrat, and these are both Democratic 
and Republican parties, they want to suppress class in the United States because what we've got going, you know, what they've got going really works. You know, they, you know, that's why I, I'm, I'm, I am hardcore, you know, like BLM for me is a, is an example of an injury as well. Of one is an injury to all. It's uh-huh. like this uh-huh. idea, if you can't recognize that black lives matter, you're, you're on a path to self-destruction Yeah. because this comes back to, if you can do it to one group, you can do it. You know, the logic of the state is about if we can do it to one then we can easily erode the rights of everyone else. So it's not simply, you know, supporting one group over another in terms of identity. It's actually like, this is us, you know, like I am a black person, you know, I'm, you know, Afro Latina, but at the same time, you know, my understanding of blackness is really about like, if you can do it to one person, you can do it to everybody. So why aren't we talking about this as genocide in the United States, you know, as atrocity, like literal atrocities? You know, I've, it feels, you know, it feels to me a lot of the time, like when people don't, when people are saying, oh, these things don't matter, or, you know, it's the looting and this, and if only black, you know, if only these, you know, these protesters would actually, you know, protest peacefully is how long, you know, this is all, this is, these are, again, they're asking for people to, to not behave in ways that point to the atrocities of the United States. It's like, well, you have to be respectable. You can't say it, you know, in this way, you can't say it that way. Why are you so mean? Why are you so this? Well, if you, if you deprive people from their basic needs and all you subscribe to is scarcity thinking and that, oh, in order for you to get your basic needs met, you have to be respectable, then you're just, you're just participating in domination, you know, and that's, to me, that's why I find the Democratic Party so contemptible, is that they want you to behave in certain ways that don't point to their own problems, that don't actually hold a mirror up to their disgusting politics. Their politics are absolutely disgusting. And why in the world would anyone vote for them at this point when their politics are so disgusting is, it's not beyond me, but they're asking a lot out of people they don't give a shit about. So. It's beyond me because I, I honestly, I would say I would agree completely. They're disgusting, but the fact that like their lead person is saying that they're dismissing the left saying that they're not going to be socialists, they won over socialists are going to incorporate a lot of the Republican people in the cabinet. I mean, and then they're going to bomb the rest of the world and continue to kill black men in the street. I mean, it's it's so beyond, like, how could people vote for that thinking that they're going to get anything out of it? 
Yeah. Right. And this is, I mean, this is what, you know, goes back to, you know, we talk about patriarchy, you know, we like to talk about patriarchy. We talk about X and Y, but really, come on people, you know, the democratic party is like the, is like the supporter and upholder. It key, it upholds the patriarchy just in a different way, but it, but that's in a very similar way to the Republican Party. Like the Republican Party is very explicitly, you know, patriarchal yeah. and, you know, embraces various kinds of Christian theology, you know, that's, that is housed in, you know, born from patriarchal structures. But at the same time, so does the Democratic Party. Yeah. And so, so do, and they, just do it in ways that are less obvious to people. They by, have great optics. You know, yeah, their optics the, are fantastic. It's the velvet glove approach. And so yeah. this disdain and they and they have a disdain for for populist candidates. You know, they have a disdain for for actually thinking that you know just regular people, so to speak, regular people, like reg- what does regular people even mean? I'm just using another vague word, just like people just trying to survive and live their lives aren't, you know, informed or educated enough to or know or capable exactly to actually believe or have some idea that what they're getting is a scam. I mean, it's a scam. So Yes, and and I think here I want to go back to the Maslow's hierarchy again and, like, the real news. And the real news to me is, like, doing an analysis, the most basic and all-encompassing needs are should be at the bottom of the hierarchy. And what are those? Those are to live. To live is the most basic and all-encompassing need. And then you have health care and being able to support yourself and have food and health care and clothing, but to live, just to live, and that's not allowed in either party. Like if you're certain minority groups, your your needs that way aren't seen as as important. Yeah, no, I have a, I hear what you're saying. I, a friend of mine, you know, who's always, you know, somewhat precarious, said something really interesting and just straight up facts, you know, like it's, it costs, it's really expensive just to try and stay alive. You know, like that's (laughs) just like, like when I heard that, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't, this is why the machine needs to be burned down just simply because why the hell does it cost so much money to just like try to like live minimally and stay alive? You know, yeah. we don't, not everyone has, is trying to like live minimally as simply just a lifestyle choice. Some people are just mm-hmm. trying to like get their basic needs met, which is really, really expensive. That's so, interesting. That's interesting. Cause in my novel that I'm about to publish, mm-hmm. I try to imagine what a world, is like where people are supported and the basic needs are met. And in the novel, in future Seattle, after a people's revolution, there 
there is a possibility of living very, very minimally and not having to do anything. You have a very small room. You have basic food needs met, nothing fancy, basic clothing. And you can live and not do uh, traditional work and do, spend your time writing or creating or traveling, whatever you want to do. You just won't have a fancy place to live, but you will have the minimum needed. So yeah. That's how it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like this is, there's a lot of things that, I mean, I feel like there's just so much to talk about this week on the small scale. Like it's really yeah. hard to, to even stay on course, but I just thought about just trying to live minimally, like just trying to live your life. Like, can't we just live without like the tyranny of the state just kind of being on us all the time? And I'm not talking about, when I'm talking about governmental tyranny, I'm not simply talking about big government. I'm talking, because people like to say the tyranny of the state is about like government getting too big. Sure, that's true. Like, I'm like, absolutely not going to um, dispute that. But I also feel like the tyranny, the tyranny that we have to live under is just trying to live a simple life and live peacefully with some dignity until we die. Mm -hmm. Or just trying to, and also, again, trying to get our basic needs met, which is about living peacefully with some modicum of dignity. So, and then there's things like, you know, private, this kind of ongoing creep towards the privatization of water. So like, oh which is so crazy. Like, I yeah, I feel like this is where I'm like, I joke with my, my millennial friends. I'm always like, oh my God, I can't even, I just can't, I can't do this. You know, it's just, there's just so many absurdities within life right now um, that it's just hard to even keep track of all of them I know. <laughs> so ridiculous it's so true I mean I have I had this friend he was my mentor and best friend for years and he's gone now but he used to tell me that um like uh in the middle ages they have Sufi stories about Sufis like putting their finger on the scale just slightly and mm -hmm. fixing things but he said things have gotten so huge and there's so many things going on now and this was 20 years ago he said this but so many things that it's impossible to um tinker with the system anymore it's so out of control and just it's a monster yeah and it's it is a monster i mean and i think it's really important to understand that it's been really, this system has been really not broken, but I don't know. Broken is too, it's too benign of a word, but maybe malignant is a better word. <laughs> malignant for so long. Soul sucking. I mean, I so, yeah, I mean, I feel like, yeah. we, like I, I mentioned in a... <laughs> This is so funny because I mentioned in a previous podcast, like, I feel like as a Gen Xer, I've been waiting my whole life to see the system just finally collapse. I mean, it's been so, it's just, it's really hard just to witness the abuses of the system. Just like, just 
from watching how people are treated in academia, particularly minorities and people of color, as part of like not giving them access to like recognition, to power and so forth. Like not giving people access is one form of like mm-hmm. absolute, you know, abuse and domination. I mean, like this is, I feel like there are different ways that we can look at it. Like depriving people of their basic needs you know, depriving people of being able to have a decent place to live, just a basic house, like I was talking about, or depriving people of, like, decent food is another form of repression and violence. And then there's, when you, like, move up the food chain, so to speak, and you get into academia, where everything is about abstraction and intellectualization, and then not really, like, um putting theory into practice they like to say you know they're theorizing and putting things into practice but how much of it actually is Mm. is is a really important issue I think that we need to look at also but you know in academia it's about psychological domination it's about really it's about that the politics of respectability like how many different ways can you actually be you know, humiliated within the context of that system and actually still be respectable, not like scream at somebody, not like go off on somebody, you know, maintain that class status of, oh, that person is going to be shitty to me, but I'm still going to maintain my respectability. And this is something that's the psychological domination piece that I keep coming back to, because I think that's where they've got you know, people who are trying to move up, you know, or, you know, move up in terms of class levels, they've got us hooked in by this constant insistence and internalization where we believe, internalization is where we've integrated it into ourselves. Like we believe like we need to be respectable. I feel like that's what Black Lives Matter is about also. Like, how long do you want us to peacefully protest? How long do you want us to march, you know, peacefully practicing, you know, nonviolence in a particular way? And they don't even understand like the complexities of nonviolent action anyway, but peacefully protest um, without really breaking down into violence if you're not ever willing to give give something give like fucking medicare for all you know like (laughs) you can't even like you can't even go there (laughs) you know you're trying to privatize water you know fracking you know you'd be like there's all kinds of like environmental racism you know like this is all about depriving people of things that are about living well and living, you know, living in a restorative environment. So I'm done with those two parties. Peace out. I, every time (laughs) someone texts me about like voting for whatever democratic candidate, I'm like, I'm out. Peace out people. I'm done with you. Stop calling me because you're not getting this vote anymore. I'm over it. So anyway, Okay, that was a rant too. So no, that was a really good rant, and and I agree. I think um, you know every time they kill a black man, 
the police just outright murder him with no no ramifications to them. They always say the same thing. They, it just happened again a few days ago. And yeah. um, they just say the same thing. Okay, everybody, be peaceful. Just I call for order. It's like, oh, my God, nobody's saying they're going to change anything. Nobody's really thinking they're going to change anything. They're just like, you got to live with it. Maybe in 100 or 200 or 500 years, it'll be different. But now this is it. This is your reality. Just get with the program. Come on, people. You know? (laughs) I I love how you got to get with the program. And that's like the whole, that's at the heart of incremental politics, right? You know, and like, exactly. exactly. And and if you think about it, (laughs) Right. If you think about it, incremental politics is about, in some ways, you know, not creating change, but also conserving the past. So, like, these these positions are fundamentally conservative anyway, because they want to conserve all the things, in my mind, that just, like, screw people over. So it's just conserving the abuses of, of the abuses of the system we Joe Biden says nothing will fundamentally change. I'm not going to really do anything. He literally like almost said like, um, he almost, it almost, it, to me, it sounded like I'm not going to do anything. Just, you know, vote me in. I'm just going to sit here and just chill. You know, I'm not hysteria in the media. Yeah. You know, look, we're, we're really not doing anything. And, and I'm going to demand that, everyone wears a mask. So, so you're going to basically like not do anything and expect people to wear masks everywhere. Like that's kind of, that's his presidency. Oh, and he'll, he'll probably start a war, more bombing. Oh, one thing I wanted to say about what you said about conservatism is, um, I don't know if you know this fact, but I read this a while back, but, um, Galileo, who was sanctioned by the Catholic Church, they actually, I read this, that they actually came and met with him and said, yeah, you're right, we know you're right, it's it's evident, but we don't want you to say anything. We don't want you to make a fuss and make people like feel <laughs> uncomfortable. We want to bring it in slowly, incrementally, and make that change incrementally. And <laughs> so I don't think it's a new thing, with the Democrats and Republicans. It's it happened there, it probably happened with Rome. Oh, you don't like people being like killed in the Coliseum? Okay, I can see that. We'll we'll bring in a change, you know, give us a hundred years. Give us a hundred years. Well, the change will come after you die. I mean, that's what I keep hearing. <laughs> yes. Like change will come but after you die. So right. right. So pretty much be, be hopeful. It will happen just not in your lifetime and not for your yes. children. <laughs> right. Right. So change. So <laughs> that's change you can believe in. Yes. I, I really just, you know, at some I'm point. sorry. It's like, and so what do you do with this? It's once has been to write a novel to try to help people vision how it could be because I think a lot of it is lack of imagination because the educational system has destroyed us you know as far as like having any imagination beyond the bounds set by um, what they deem as 
is good uh, education. And so, like, I just want to help people imagine what it's like to have your healthcare needs met and, like, to have a basic housing and still go about your life and have your problems. You know, maybe you can't find uh, a suitable love interest or maybe you're dying or, or maybe you are heartbroken or lonely, but you still have a place to live and you still have health care. <laughs> right. And this is kind of like why, you know, although we kind of, we were really silly last week and it was like, you know, fuck this, fuck that. America is so fucking mean. You know, I don't mind that because like I am actively against participating in the politics of respectability all the time like you Mm -hmm. cannot like sure we need to participate in civic discourse and give people Mm -hmm. respect but practicing in a very nice sanitized well we're free to disagree you and i you know like all of these niceties that is about sanitizing what's really going on is completely problematic i mean yeah yeah I've seen working in community mental health on the street. I were, you know, I grew up in the inner city of New York before it was gentrified and just the lives being lost, you know, not only this life, like being shot down or being, you know, taken off of the street because you have nowhere to live and that you're loitering kind of stuff, but just how people are just yes. not able to live a dignified life and be left alone. I mean, like, that's, like, the biggest problem for me, um, right? again, in terms of just giving people a basic house, giving them just some basic health care, giving, giving all of us a way to just not be at each other's throats because these both of these parties operate off of scarcity they rob us of our imagination to think of a different world to envision something for ourselves which is outside of this bullshit party system and we are here to tell you that part of like restoring your mental health is not to let these the system rob you of your creativity so yeah. that's why I like the fact that yeah. you're talking about Ruth, you know, writing your novel about envisioning a better future, you know, do your art, create a, you know, like yeah. we created a podcast as a way to kind of just talk, talk about these system, talk about these things in ways that are, are outside of the two party system mm-hmm. and, remind people that part of the way they get you hooked is by, you know, being dependent on mainstream media for news, for really, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's about robbing you of a vision for the future that where you're the one who's really envisioning what's best for you and creating a system for us and our friends and like our family members that isn't relying on like the BS of the state. You know, I love that. And my take on that is I was lucky enough to go to college and study literature. And in literature, you've got two main opposing forces. You've got the romantic tradition and the classical In the romantic tradition, like with the romantic poets um, was all about the people 
and being close to the land and and freedom, the things that are important to me. And then the classical was about the elites keeping their power, basically. And and it used to be that the Democratic Party seemed to be the party of the people wanting liberation, the regular people, but it's not really anymore. Um, and I think for me, looking and stepping back, what I see is that the key element is that every person has to realize that they are as good as all of these stupid elites who just get there by money and wealth and power and bullying, that their minds and their hearts are just as good as anyone else's. And so they do need to shake themselves free of the mainstream media. You know, even leftists and liberals, like they can spend all day listening to NPR and and that can be detrimental to one's mental health, you know, because their take, you're you're looking at just their take on things and um, they might be whipping you into a frenzy of fear or panic or whatever. And for me, I've taken a step back and I don't listen to anything TV and I just read all my news and I try to read a variety of sources and if people just do that, read news from outside the country, read a variety, then it, it lends a more balanced look and you can think more clearly and think about what you feel. Yeah, I am 100% like on that train, Ruth, because I was just thinking we're, we're going to need as, as many minds and bodies to yep. think up, to envision a better future. Yep. Like, the, do not leave this in the the hands of no. the power elite, the oligarchs, those talking heads. Don't leave it to them. You, only <laughs> you and your friends and family are the yeah. ones that are going to create a better future for you. Amen because to that. They, because everyone else, like, it's all about power and telling us what to do, mm-hmm. how to behave, what kind of people to be how to say things correctly, you shouldn't say it that way, you know, this, this, and that, and just basically participating in the aesthetics of middle-class sensibilities, but really not giving us what we need in order to really be successful. So screw that. I'm not down for just participating in respectability politics until I die. I am more about, like, creating transformational small-scale communities, you know, bioregionalism. If you want to, like, talk about Cascadia, you know, or some other region where we're getting together for collective action, that's fine. But that, you know, you're not going to get anything from either one of these parties other than more heartburn so like, <laughs> or death. I don't, I'm not, like, I'm not really, <laughs> I don't so even funny. know, like, it's just so I'm mad. only laughing, not because I like that, but because it's <laughs> so true. Like, heartburn, You're so death, right, heartburn, you know, death. You know, oh, like, the Democratic Party yeah. and the Republican, heartburn and death. Accumulated stress, <laughs> manifests in, like, high blood pressure, you know, like, yeah. this is what happens <laughs> when you, like, you know, study a little, you study, study some, you know, 
clinical work, community mental health, and like how it affects communities because it's really that idea of death by a thousand cuts is here to erode us, deplete us of our life, our life vitality. I know I keep saying this and it's, it's so because true it's, because it's true. <laughs> like, I at think, least for me, it's true. At least I know. I think it's true. true. And at the heart, I think what these um, parties are saying, the Republicans and the Democrats and all the elites who tell them what to do, they're basically saying to us, to the regular people, that you don't know. We know better. You aren't educated. We are the ones who can shape your worldview. Don't do that art. Don't do that literature unless it's within the confines of our imagination. Right, right. And that's, you know, they want, I mean, and this is what's really funny about, like, people who teach about community change, action, and so forth. I mean, I've seen so many, I've witnessed so many people who say they're about, like, and this is, you know, academics who clearly believe they're radical in some form. But the moment you start questioning, like, wait a minute. Um, the kind of research you're doing, I can see an ethical dilemma. They're like, they want to shut you down. They want to say you're a bad person for actually questioning, like the way they conduct research. I've definitely experienced that. Um, and we'll say all kinds of horrible things about the fact that you see a problem or a flaw in the system. And trust me, the system is flawed. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, maybe I am saying that. I mean, actually, yeah, the system just needs, it just needs to be dismantled in, and like the power given back to people so they can like live, live meaningful lives that aren't about giving their power over to others. So actually I was going to say, no, I was going to say this I was going to say something benign earlier, like, Oh, I don't really mean to say that the system shouldn't be just should be dismantled but yeah I really do mean the system should be dismantled because <laughs> it sucks this you know, is I'm so, not gonna like yeah. I'm not gonna edit myself around that no I agree the system should because it's basically um not a system based on human needs it's not a system based on helping individuals or any individuals except for the people at the top um with their private islands and their mansions they're doing okay um, yeah. And they'll have bunkers to go to when global warming gets too bad, you know, but everyone else won't. <laughs> yeah, I saw, you know, it was really wild. Someone sent me a picture of like, maybe I saw it from Hebrews. I don't remember, but like someone saw me, sent me a meme of like someone saying like, oh, yeah, here it is. It's easier for a white person to vote from space than for an African American or Latino to vote in their own home oh my God. in the United yes. States because there's a picture from the Hill about the NASA astronaut Kate Rubin's voting from space in the U.S. election using the ISS voting booth, and I'm like, so this is like this is how you spend your money, and people are like literally. I go back to people dying and sleeping in the streets, but here we are, yeah. you know, using all kinds of money to like 
go to the moon, go to whatever, boat from wherever, boat from space, but you can't get shit right here again. Yeah. No. Like, People stood for 10, 12 hours in line to vote, and, and they were the lucky ones who could vote. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. I didn't yeah. understand that meme, but that's a good one. Yeah, I'll I'll send it to you. Maybe Thank maybe you. I'll send a link and we can post it up on yeah <laughs> on, in the in the in the show notes. Right. But we're uh, we're getting it's like it's getting <laughs> it's close to an hour. An hour. Yeah, I can't believe it. This was like way more than I anticipated to say. Right. Right. At least on my end, but yeah, don't let them rob you of your creativity. That's like right. my biggest thing. And yep. I think, you know, we need to we need to remember that um, you know, there's wisdom, there's wisdom, there's local wisdom here, you know, not provincial. I'm not talking about pro- being provincial. I'm talking about being local and really, you know, going back to the land. You know, we have there's wisdom here on the planet. Um, that not that that lies outside of institutionalized thinking that be institutionalized thinking from my perspective after living and breathing it for so long it's very rigid forms of thought that require us to you know live in very abstracted worlds you know and not and think about instead of thinking about people and individuals, we think about populations, you know, like that kind of thinking where, you know, there's been a decrease, you know, in this particular population or a decrease in, you know, their social determinants of health and all kinds of things. When it's really like, actually, you're talking about who lives longer, who gets sick more, who gets sick quicker, and how does that happen? But we want to talk about these things in really euphemistic ways when it really is about life or death. It is. And and the ability to abstract, of course, as a human species makes us um, able to do a lot. But it also cuts us off from the reality of, you know, our next door neighbor dying. Yeah, really. And I have been I have been in situations where someone next door to me was dead in their house you know so like these are these are real tangible things that we need to think about like how this system is not serving us Mm -hmm. and we've got to create a better vision for ourselves not just for ourselves but for future generations so I think that's it for me. And, <laughs> and Ruth, like, what's what's your final say? What's I would you? I would agree, and I think that accepting the fact that we are, I actually this is a whole nother uh, conversation, but I don't believe that mankind has fallen. I don't believe we're fallen in sin and grace, and I think we're fine. And we need to recognize our own nobility and our own divinity. And once we can do that recognize how important we are as an individual in the universe, I think then we can start from there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. And again, just one final thought. Don't let them rob you of your creativity <laughs> no. and your vision for the future. I'm just going to say that again. Yep. Do because, the art, do the yeah, writing. 
do the yeah. art. You know, yeah. we're all co-creators here. Yeah. We all have ways in which we can contribute meaningfully to a better society and to dream up a new dream of the world. And that, and our imaginations are sacred. You know, yep. we can envision a different future. Yep. So here we're coming from, we're coming to you from the land of the Lummi Nation and Ruth from your end. The Salish Sea. The Salish Sea. Yeah, yeah. we're here. And this is, we're at minute 56. So wow. until next week, right? Yeah, yeah, this was great. Thank you. All right. Talk to you all soon. Take care.